Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, let me encourage you to find 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, this is our summer series. We've been going through the little book of 1 Peter. Been finding out a lot of wonderful stuff, a lot of great challenges from Peter as he has strengthened our faith in regards to our salvation as it comes from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven whereby men ought to be saved but by Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he switched over from salvation and then started talking about submission. And he says, as a born-again child of God, we are under authority. We're under authority in relationship to God. And because we're under his authority, there's a way that we ought to respond to government. And he says, there are, there's a way that we ought to respond to our bosses at our jobs. There's a way that we ought to respond in our marriage. And then finally, he's going to come and he's going to say, there's a way that we ought to respond to each other as a church, as a congregation. Now remember, just uh, keep in mind, in relationship to where we're at in this passage of Scripture, uh, we're talking about Asia Minor, again, which is under the role of Rome. Uh, Rome is ruling in Asia Minor at this present time. Nero is the Caesar. He hates Christians. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, God speaks to Peter, who at one time was at odds with Paul about Gentiles. And God puts it on his heart, and he obviously has gotten right with God, and he writes this letter called 1 Peter, and he also wrote a second letter, 2 Peter, and sent them to all of the churches in Asia Minor. These churches were filled full of Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish people. And these non-Jewish people have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, and Peter's encouraging them to stay strong in the faith. And as he's encouraging them to stay strong in the faith, he challenged them in respect to persecution. Persecution is coming. Nero is going to do so much damage to the church. It's going to be historical. In our history books, you'll see and notice that Nero was one of the most awful rulers in respect to Christians. He hated them. He wanted to destroy them. He wanted to wipe them completely out. And he didn't care if you were a Jew or not. If you were a Christian, if you identified yourself as a born-again child of God, you're the enemy. And he was coming after you. Why? Well, because he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to set himself the supreme primary ruler and, and to be worshipped as a God. And so Peter, in encouraging them, says, look, in relationship to the government as a Christian, you were to respond and be in a, in, under the authority of the government unless that government is going against the Word of God. You should always go with the Word of God. And he stays with that thing in regards to authority throughout this entire book in relationship to the government, to our jobs, to our uh, families in response to our husband and wife relationships. And then also he's going to say some specific things about the church. It reminds me of a story of a pastor who was trying to unite his congregation. He was encouraging them that they need to be united, and he was talking about forgiveness. There seemed to be a little bit of fractions in the church, yan yan, so to speak. And so the pastor stood up and preached a sermon on forgiveness. And after the sermon, it was way late hour. I mean, it was time to go. It was past 12 o'clock. People were getting hungry. They were getting fidgety. But he took advantage of the situation. And be, preaching on forgiveness, he said, Church, I'm telling you, it ought to be your responsibility to forgive your enemies, even if that enemy's in this church. How many of you today commit to forgiving your enemies? 
Well, about half the congregation really heard the message and they lifted their hand. But there was the other half that never raised their hand. Seeing the hour was late and wanting to try to take advantage of the situation, the pastor said, I'm going to ask it one more time see if I can get a better response. The Bible says you need to forgive your enemies. How many of you are going to forgive your enemies this week? Will you raise your hand? And they lifted all their hands. This time about 80% raised their hand. He said, I'm telling you what, church, God wants us to obey the word of God. We must forgive our enemies. I'm going to ask it one more time. Now being very late, everybody's ready to go. He's sure everybody's going to raise their hands at this stage. Will you forgive your enemies? And everybody in the building raised their hand. Except for one little old lady sitting in the back. He looked out amongst the congregation. He said, Miss Jones, I notice you have not raised your hand. She spoke up. She said, Preacher, I don't need to. And the preacher said, Miss Jones, we all want to go eat lunch. And the Word of God has challenged us to forgive our enemies. I understand, Miss Jones, you're 93 years old. I got a question for you. Would you mind just coming up front? Miss Jones stood up, got in the aisle, walked all the way up to the pulpit. He looked at Miss Jones. He said, Miss Jones, are you telling me in these 93 years you don't have an enemy? He looked at the preacher and he said, Preacher, I'm telling you, I don't have any enemies. Miss Jones, the preacher said, In 93 years you've never had an enemy. I'm curious, will you please tell this congregation what is the secret to not having any enemies? In the mind of the pastor, thinking that forgiveness was on the tip of her tongue, she looked at the pastor and turned and said, Because I outlived all them hags. in regard to unity, in regard to the church, in regard to moving in the same direction, we surely don't need to look at one another as hags. In fact, we need to get along with each other. And this is exactly what Peter's going to be talking about. He's going to be stressing the fact that as a born-again body of believers, that we have something this world does not have. And that's the forgiveness of our sins. We're not perfect. Nobody in here is perfect. We're not going to be perfect until we stand before the perfect one. But we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we have the ability and we have the capability and we have the presence inside of us, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us to do what we would normally do in difficult situations to do what we might not do in ordinary circumstances and that is forgive one another and so notice what Peter says in regards to this on how we are to respond to one another as a local body of believers with persecution at our doorstep and persecution being ready and ramping up in this culture but also in our culture Peter says in verse 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessings are blessing known that ye are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. 
For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. When you get to verse 9 and 10, or excuse me, verse 8 and 9, when you get to verse 8 and 9 and you see that what uh, we have here in this passage of Scripture is Peter giving us some direction in regards to how we are to treat each other and the, our attitudes towards one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that we all aren't going to agree on everything. We're not going to agree on everything. But in relationship to who we are as born-again children of God, we must be in agreement on one thing, and that is Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of our life. Jesus is the one that sits on the, on the, on the seat of our heart, on the throne of our heart, and he, it is He who guides us and directs us and causes us to love one another even when we're unlovable. Notice what the scripture says in verse number 8. Peter begins by saying the word finally. The word finally is a Greek word telos. Telos. It means to sum up. Or it means the goal of this conversation. Or it means coming to the end of what I've just said. He's speaking of the overall context of what he's mentioned in scripture. And what is the overarching con context of this scripture? Could you turn back to chapter 1 and verse 9? In chapter 1, in verse number 9, we see here the overarching context that Peter is writing from. He's saying in verse number 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now remember the tenses by which we are saved. We were saved when we prayed to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. March 22nd, 1988, 14-year-old boy, I remember it just like yesterday. Got on my knees, I asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I repented of my sins, and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. On that day, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I got saved on that day. I am saved because March 22nd, 1988, as a 14-year-old boy, I understood the gospel and Jesus Christ forgave me of my sins. Watch this now. Here's tense number two. I am being saved. I am being saved. As I grow in my Christian faith, as I mature in my body, as I get older and my eyesight grows weak, my ears go out and I can't hear, uh, I get stooped over in my back, my knees hurt, everything hurts, I take Tylenol to go to bed. When all these things are happening to me, I'm growing up in Jesus Christ even though this body is going down. I was saved and I am being saved through sanctification or holiness. And then here's the third tense. One day, whether it be by the rapture, whether I go up by the rapture or I die, either way, I will be saved from the very presence of sin. So I was saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. This is what he's speaking of in verse number 9, in chapter number 1, where he's saying, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. When I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. And so with that thought in mind, I am, and you, we, we are the living testimony of the Word of God to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. 
And so Peter says, in regards to this, finally, in thinking about the overarching context of what I've said, watch this. He reiterates it in chapter 2, verse 9. Look at what he says in verse number 9 of chapter 2. This is fascinating. He says, remember this, he uses the, the conjunction but, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Why? Why? Why are we strange? Why are we peculiar? Because when you got saved, you were saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. And that will make a difference in your life. And people look at that cockeyed and go, you crazy. You one of them Jesus freaks. Yes, I am. And it's all right. It, the world is going to look at you funny. The world's going to think you're strange. They're going to think you're peculiar. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're crazy. But we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, living inside of us, that gives us the strength to get through any challenge we might face. And so Peter says, here's the end of this whole thing, thinking about how you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And in verse number 9, in, in chapter 2, look at the latter part. He says that you should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Anybody in here seen the light? So he says, brothers and sisters, my final thought on this area of submission is that first and foremost, you be of the same mind. The first thing Peter says in regards to our fellowship here at Maysville Baptist Church and also the church that existed in present-day Turkey, these Gentiles, he says, look, the local church is to commit to the unity of mind. We are to be of the same mind. Look at the text again. He says, be ye all of one mind. I'd take my pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, and I would underline that word all. Why? Because all means all. That's all all means. He's speaking of all Christians, all Christians, every Christian that, it, that was there in Asia Minor. It's a present tense imperative saying that it's all of us today. All of us ought to be of one mind. The local church is to be an immovable, like-minded people. What does that mean? What does it mean? It means that we are to be unified in our minds. The unity of mind is ultimately an issue of authority, and that's what he's been speaking about this whole time. Unity of mind means that we should submit our individual thoughts and, and intuitions and emotions and instincts to one central um, arbiter of what is and is not true. That means that with the local church ought to have a single central authority by which to measure its truth claims. That is to say, you can have unity of mind, like-mindedness, with, with a standard that you all agree with. What is the standard that we have? That's a very fascinating question because we find the answer to that question coming from Paul. Paul tells us what that standard is. If you have your Bibles, flip back, if you would, over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 14. In verse number 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells us in response to what this centralized authority is in our life as a congregation. Look at what the Scripture says. Paul says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and seen and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Pull up, press pause for a minute. 
Peter, excuse me, Paul is writing to a man by the name of Timothy. Timothy's a pastor and he needs encouraging. Paul says, you keep in mind and remember the things you've learned and how you've learned them. Look at what he says in verse 15. And that from a child that has known what? The holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That word perfect there is the Greek word mature. He wants you to be mature, thoroughly furnished unto good works. What is the centralized authority that Paul is calling Timothy to? The word of God. What is the centralized authority that God wanted Timothy to use in preaching to the church? The word of God. What is the centralized authority that we have today that we organize around to say this is truth and let this be true and everything else a lie it's the word of God it's the word of God where we find our authority it's the word of God where we find our unity it's the word of God where we find our truth it is that word of God that we focus on and look at and say it's got to line up with this or we ain't gonna follow it there are individuals that are living today that simply say you know what I, I like to use my feelings as my truth. You can't trust your feelings. I'm telling you, your feelings will lie to you. There's some people out there today say, well, you know what? I, I, I want to trust, I, I trust my education. That's what I trust. I trust my education. My professor said, yada, yada, yada. Your professor may be wrong. Your education may be faulty. Now, you got to have a better truth than just education. Our culture today says their truth is revolved around science. That'd probably be okay if they did science right. Well, we don't even do science right. Uh, that'll lead you astray. Uh, others say, you know what I use as my truth? I use my upbringing as my truth. My family's always done this. You listen to your family, it'll send you straight to hell. And people out there living today say something like this. I can meet God out there in the deer stand just as well as I can in the church. You better make sure you back that up with Scripture. You know, the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. That's what Psalms 92 says. You see, it's a declarative knowledge of God. It's non-salvitic. You may sit in your deer stand and say, yeah, there is a God. But until you meet the man named Jesus who died on Calvary's cross and rose again on the third day, you will not know salvation. And just because you know God doesn't mean that you know God. Uh, to really know God, to really know who God is, is to dive into his word and to see how his redemption plan has taken place so that you and I could be unified as a body of believers and be the force that is restraining evil in our world today. The church, the church is the only thing that we have today that's holding back the evil as we pray and seek God's face and say, God, have mercy on us. And if we're not united on the word of God, it's over. It's over. So he tells us in this, in this text, he says, look, the very first thing you got to do as a body of believers is you have got to be united in your mind. May it go on record that as we love God, love others, and serve the world, we've got one instruction. That's the Word of God. Here is what we place ourselves up under. 
that says, God, we are listening to you, we hear you, and whatever we get, if we hear a song on the radio, if it doesn't, if it doesn't match this, it's not from you. If, if we are hearing a preacher on the television and he's talking about all, but he never goes back to the Bible and he just goes on and on giving you on 15 ways to have a simple life, brothers and sisters, that's called a motivational talk. That ain't preaching. Preaching moves us from a position of where we are and challenges us to move to a position where God is. Hey. Too many preachers out there today with lace on their underwear is what the problem is. Skitting around, hey, 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 in their skinny jeans. Bless God. Let God be true. Let's preach the word of God. Hey. So you upset, preacher. I'm mad at the devil. Hey. Number two, let me show you a second thing about this text. Uh, I got to be careful. I've already had somebody say, preacher, save some energy for us at that 11 o'clock service, will you? <laughs> he says, finally, brethren, be of one mind. That is, the local church should commit to, the, to unity of mind, having the same mind. Number two, here's the second thing. The local church is to be recognized by sympathy. Recognized by sympathy. When people see us at Maysville Baptist Church, not at the church, but when they see us out in the community, they ought to see that we're a sympathetic people. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says this, having compassion one for another. This is biblical sympathy. When you look at biblical sympathy, you see that Paul had something to say about this in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 15. And Paul said this, in regards to sympathy, you are to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. You see, sympathy is an, an eagerness to obey those uh, toward, to, to, excuse me, to obey those words towards each other. When someone's hurting, you hurt. When someone's joyful, you're joyful. It means that we are to be so, so connected to one another and so longing for the good of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that when they succeed, we rejoice. And when they're in pain, then we experience loss. When they're hurting, then our reaction is the same. We hurt too. Why? Because we're of the same mind and we're of the same body and there's sympathy that we have one for another. This is the visible expression of Paul's metaphor for the church. We are to have the same feelings for one another. When one hurts, we all hurt. During the uh, 1960s in Kenya, there was a group of uh, terrorists that were controlling the region. Uh, there was a missionary, Matt and Laura Higgins. Uh, they were returning one night through Nairobi, and as they were traveling through Nairobi, they had to go through these, uh, this specific area where these terrorists were located. As they were driving their Land Rover in the middle of the night, their vehicle went completely dead. I mean, just shut down. In the dead of night, the husband got out, walked around and opened up uh, the hood and did everything in his power to try to get the car to start. It would not start. They were in the very danger zone where these terrorists were killing Christians. They were beheading them. On this particular night, not being able to get the vehicle started, the husband climbed in the back of the Land Rover with his wife and simply said, let's pray and let's ask the Lord from Psalms 4.8, that I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. That was their prayer. 
They lay down that night. The next morning as the sun came up, they found themselves alive and well. He got out of the vehicle, lifted up the hood again, and within a matter of seconds, he had the vehicle running. They got in the vehicle and they got out of the terrorist camp as quickly as they possibly could. The day before they were leaving to go on furlough, a pastor approached uh, the missionary, Matt, and said, Matt, I need to tell you something. Matt said, what is it? He said, I know y'all were leaving going on uh, this uh, uh, furlough. He says, but I want to tell you, the other night when you guys were stuck out there in Nairobi, he said, I, I met a man that came to the church that said they tried to attack your vehicle that night. And as they approached your vehicle to kill you and your wife, they saw 16 men standing around the vehicle guarding you. Matt said, I don't, that makes no sense to me. He says, it was just me and my wife who were traveling back from that conference. He said, I know, I'm just telling you what the man said. Matt told his wife they got on an airplane, flew back to the United States, and when they landed, a man picked them up, a good friend of theirs. And that good friend turned to Matt, and he said, Matt, he said, uh, I, got a, I got a question for you. He says, yes, sir. He says, did y'all find yourself in any trouble the other night, just a couple of nights ago? And he says, why are you asking that? He says, well, he says, on March the 23rd, God placed a heavy burden on my heart. And he said, I called some men in the church to meet at the church and to pray. And there were 16 of us that showed up. Matt said, you're not going to believe this. But that very night, the terrorist group tried to kill us. And they saw 16 men surrounding the vehicle. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you today, this warfare that we're in is not of flesh and blood. This is a spiritual warfare that we're in. And as the Holy Spirit speaks truth in the inward parts of our hearts, it is very important that we are sympathetic to the needs of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Whether they be all the way around the world or right here in our congregation. May we be so sympathetic that when the Lord Jesus speaks to our heart, when he speaks, we move. And if he gets you out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray for someone, I ask you, will you listen to the Holy Spirit? Will you be sympathetic towards your brothers and sisters? Even if it's your enemy, would you ask God to bless them? So what do you mean, preacher? Well, let's move forward. Notice what the Bible says, number three. There's a third thing I need you to notice very quickly. The local church is also to demonstrate brotherly love. The local church is to demonstrate brotherly love. Look at what the scripture says. He says uh, also that uh, we are to love as brothers or love as the brethren. Now, this is very fascinating because this is not the first time Peter has said this. As a matter of fact, when you look at the the book of 1 Peter, this is the third time he said it. Let me show you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Turn over to verse number 22 of chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Look at what he says here. He says, seeing that you have purified your souls, verse 22 of chapter 1, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unframed love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. He's saying, look, if we're going to love each other in chapter 1, it's going to take some work. There are people inside the congregation that are unlovable. 
Don't say amen right there, okay? <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> there are people in the church that are unlovable sometimes. He says, this is work. You've got to work to love them. You fervently move towards this work of love to love as brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, that, that's the first one. Also look at chapter 2, verse 17. He says it again in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 17. He says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Again, it's so vitally important, this brotherly love in the context of persecution. We need each other. We can't be fighting each other. If we're trying to fight the evil of this world in regards to the spiritual warfare that's going on. So he says, look, there's this intertwined connection of you loving God and loving each other. You've got to love each other, he says. And then he comes to chapter number three, and here he says it again, that we are to love as Brothers, last night, uh, i got to hurry. Last night, uh, Miriam and I <clears throat> went to Ingalls to do our shopping. Uh, I'm telling you, grocery stores are my favorite place on the planet. They've got all the stuff I love, all the stuff I love. And we got in there and just had a wonderful time uh, getting food and getting ready to stock up for the week again. And uh, I was standing in the checkout, and, and there on the other side of the checkout was Junior and, and Charlotte Hardy. I love them so very, very much. They were checking out at one checkout. I'm checking out at this checkout. The guy's beeping there. There's people all around us. Junior turns, and he turns to me, and he says, Preacher. And they got all those, you know, those, those shields. Those shields. <sighs> you know what I'd like to do one day? I don't know why. This is bad. I shouldn't say everything that runs through my mind. But I really would like to just, like, I'd love to blow a raspberry on that thing, just one time. I walked around the shield, and Brother Junior was in the other aisle. Uh, the, the, the guy checking us out was right there uh, beside us. And he looked at me, he said, Preacher, I love you. He didn't care who heard it. He didn't care who seen it. Right there in public in front of everybody. Junior, you'll never know what that did in my heart. It made your pastor feel loved. I love you. Sometimes, like last week, you talk about a hard message to preach. I think I feel like I'm skipping through the daisies this morning. After last week, good grief, last week, hard message. But to hear you say, I love you, keep preaching the truth, Pastor. And you did. You did. I didn't get one ugly email last week. I didn't get one ugly phone call. Nobody wrote a note and left it in my box unsigned. I'm so grateful for that. Grateful. We're a family. We're to love each other. You know, tell somebody you love them today. And show them that you love them. Because we're a family, we don't act like the world. We're living in a society today where you get upset at church, first thing you do is you leave and go find another church. What if we did that in our families today? What if I went up to, to my wife and I said, Honey, I'm sorry. I don't like Taco Tuesday. I don't like it. The Smiths over there, they have steak on Tuesday. I'm, I'm done with this. I'm no longer going to do Taco Tuesday. I'm going to go invest in their family instead of investing in ours. Isn't that foolish? 
then why do we do it as a church? Why do we do it as individuals? We do it in such a way to push down the importance of church membership. So I won't be a member of that church. Why? I'm being a member of that church. They're just too many problems over there. You show me a church where they ain't problems. Brothers and sisters, we come together because we're a family. I'm going to be honest with you, this this is one of the best church. I'm telling you, this is the best church. I've pastored some wonderful, wonderful congregations. I think about my previous church and this church. You've got one thing in common. You truly, truly want to love people. And you truly, truly want to love one another. But you always have those folks in the revolving door. And they come in, they come out, they come in, they come out. And every time they go out, it's because they didn't like what the preacher said. Or somebody hurt their feelings. Or they got their feelings on their shoulder. Brothers and sisters, we're to love each other. And we're to be a family. We ought not to leave every time we've got a disagreement. It's a sin to church hop. Jump over here for a little while till you get upset or mad at something that the preacher said. Or something some Sunday school teacher or deacon said. And then jump over there to another place. No, listen, you get plugged in and you become that person that Jesus wants you to become in that local body of believers. And that may mean here, now listen to me very carefully. I'm not talking about not leaving if something's not doctrinally correct. If it ain't doctrinally correct, that's a whole different story. But to leave just because somebody wore the same dress as you did, that ain't, that ain't the way. That ain't the way. That ain't the way. Number four. Number four, the local church ought to be compassionate. We ought to be compassionate. Look at the text again very quickly. He uses the term, I'm reading from the King James, he uses the term be pitiful. <laughs> Boy, this is, how, this is how words have changed today. You know, to be pitiful today means to be small. You know, the southern, you know what it means if you're a Christian a southerner and you say, bless his heart. You know what that means? That means you're pathetic. <laughs> bless his heart. Pitiful doesn't mean, it didn't mean during this season what it means today. Today, pitiful means you're a small person or you're you're insignificant. No, that's that's not what he was talking about here. This archaic term, pitiful, means to have compassion towards. He's saying you need to be compassionate towards each other. As a matter of fact, in, in, in the ancient, this term means to have a good spleen. Have a good spleen. In Asia... They thought the center of your feelings was right there in the spleen. And, and so they would say, have a good spleen. <laughs> that, that's gross. <laughs> but it's true. But it carries the idea of being compassionate towards someone. We are to be so emotionally intense in regards to who we are as born-again children of God that we are compassionate one towards another. And then number five, I, I'm, I've just got to give you these last two because my time's up. Number five, the local church ought to be known for the humility of mind. Look at what he says in the text. He says, be courteous. Be courteous. This is being uh, humble, having the attitude of humility. So what does that look like? Let me give you this one illustration, and and I'm going to move on to the last one because we need to get finished. It simply means you come to church saying, Lord, I want to hear from you today. I, I know that pastor's been praying, he's been searching your scripture, he's preaching the book of 1 Peter. God, what 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 would you have for me to say today? What what, what do you have for me today? What is it that I need to learn today? 
And then as the pastor proclaims and preaches the word of God in humility, you receive the word. And then you apply the word. And then you flesh out the word. Uh, We're living in a culture today where uh, there's some churches out there, every single word is analyzed. Now I understand this. I've been doing this a long time. Every word that falls out of my mouth is analyzed. Good or <laughs> one or the other. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, God's called me to this. And I'm okay with it. But the individuals that are growing in their faith are not analyzing every word the pastor says. They're receiving the word of God from the pastor's lips to apply to their life so that they might flesh out that truth. And they're thinking in their hearts and in their minds, how can I apply this in my everyday life? How can I apply this text in my everyday life? Do, do, I, do I exhibit these attributes as a member of Maysville Baptist Church? A- am I committed to the unity of mind in relationship to the Word of God? Uh, am I recognized as being a sympathetic person? A- am I someone that demonstrates brotherly love to individuals? Or am I always complaining and griping and, and just being a gripey gut? A- am I someone that can be classified as being compassionate? God, help me to be compassionate today. W- what does that look like? Lord, would you help me see how that I might be compassionate this week? That's humility. And then the last thing he says, and my time is up. He says, the local church ought to be known for blessing those that curse her. Blessing those that curse her. We are to bless those that curse us. Look at the Bible again. Notice what the scripture says in verse 9. He says, not rendering or not repaying evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. So when they give you evil, you give them a blessing. When they rail against you, you give them a blessing. Knowing this, verse 9, that you are called to this ministry. That's what he means by this when he says in this text. He says, knowing that you are thereunto called, this is what you're called to. You, you are called not, not to be a doormat. It's not what he's referring to. He's saying to be so strong in your faith that you understand the reason why you're going through this situation. The reason why God puts you in this situation. He puts you in this situation because he knows you can handle it. You just got to make the conscientious choice to flesh out that biblical truth that's in the word of God. And as you flesh that truth out, look at what it says in the text. In the end, in the latter part, he says that you should inherit a blessing. God wants you to inherit your blessing. He wants you to inherit it. But according to this passage of Scripture, you're not going to inherit it just because you come to know Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and the prosperity gospel is just going to rain good stuff down on you. Nope. It's completely opposite of the prosperity gospel. You come to Jesus Christ, and the world's going to hate you. And they're going to talk evil about you. And they're going to tell you you're the problem. Christians are the problem today. Christians are the problem because they're standing in the way in regards to abortion being all over the place. 
Christians are the problem today in regards to marriage because you, you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. You're the problem today. Christians are the problem today. So there's going to be railings. There's going to be evil headed your way. Can you believe? I can't. In my, I'm still trying to reconcile the fact that Nancy Pelosi wants to get rid of all the hope centers. It's perplexing to me. Why in the world would you want to get rid of a place that offers hope? I do not understand. It's because of what the scripture says. They're going to speak evil against you. But you are in return to bless those that curse you. And to be a blessing to those who offend you. So don't be surprised if you see the very one that has railed against you, spoke evil of you, tried to hurt you in some way. Don't be surprised when they find themselves in a situation where they don't know where to turn and the only person they turn to is you. What will you then do? Will you offer them a blessing or will you offer them a curse? God says as a body of believers in the local church, as a congregation, It's very important that we have some attitudes and attributes that this lost and dying world that's out here today, when they look at us, they don't see us. They see him. Father, help our world to see you. We'll be very careful, God, to give you the glory, honor, and praise for it. We love you. We thank you. We ask your blessings on this invitation now. In Jesus' name, amen.